Okay, so when we left off uh, a couple weeks ago, so we had begun this piece, which we had started really because it relates to Eretz Yisrael, uh, but it actually, that's uh, what I was looking for at the time, but it turns out that this is a piece which the name of it from the Sif Sechaim is Sfira Saomer Mektasheres Ben Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim Kabbalah Satora, that uh, the, uh, the mitzvah of counting the Omer is what connects us to, from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim to Kabbalah Satora, to receiving of the Torah. And one of the main themes which the Sif Sechaim has been developing is this idea that there's at least a Havamina, there's at least a a thought that uh, the Torah has or the Chazal have that we should be bringing the Korban Omer, we should begin this process on the first day of Pesach, which implies that there's this inherent connection between these two ideas. And part of what the Sif Sechaim was trying to develop was exactly what is that. And when we left off a couple of weeks ago, so he was talking about how the Korban Omer is supposed to remind us of uh, Hashem's presence that uh, Baruch Hu is the one who directs Teva, he's the one who directs uh, all of uh, nature, um, and that when we go ahead and manufacture food, so it takes a lot of effort uh, on our part, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes ahead and he provides all really of the resources necessary for um, all of those efforts to uh, to be manifest themselves. So that was one aspect of the Korban Omer where we left off, and now where we pick it up, so uh, we pick it up from this next section. He's going to quote another section, actually, from the same Medrash. So the section begins with the words, So this is an obligation to recognize that even Teva, Teva meaning nature, is a, just a manifestation of Hashem's will. There's nothing natural about it. It's all a manifestation of God's will. And he says, the Medrash says this fascinating idea. Amar Rebrachia, Rebrachia relates. Amar Kashbarchu Moshe, Kashbarchu says to Moshe, Lech Emorlem Yisrael, go ahead and tell Kla Yisrael the following, give them the following message for me. When you were in the wilderness and I was giving you, I was providing you Kla Yisrael with the Mon, so Hayisi no saying, Omer Lechol Echad Vechamikem. So if you remember from that uh, passage in the Torah about the uh, the mon which fell, so the Torah says that for each member of the family, HaKadosh Baruch Hu provided an omer's worth, an omer is a particular message, a, sorry, a particular measurement, but he provided an omer's worth of mon for each member of the household each and every day. And every day they would gather one-tenth of an eifa, for every member of the household, which is an Omer. In Hadahu Dechsiv, that's why the Pasuk says, Omer Legugolas, that there was one Omer, that measurement, Legugolas per head, per person. The Achshav, so that's what was true when we were in the wilderness. The Achshav Shatem Nosim Li Esa Omer, and now Kesh says that you are in Eretz Yisrael, and you are bringing for me the Korban HaOmer, Ein Liela Omer Echad Mikochan, so the exchange rate is incredible. That Baruch Hu says, when I was giving you, when I was supplying for you, so I supplied one Omer per person uh, in all of Klai Yisrael. Now that you, Klai Yisrael, are living in Eretz Yisrael, and you are bringing a Korban for me, a Korban Omer for me, all it takes is one Omer on behalf of everybody, and that satisfies me. 
blowed. And not only is it obviously the exchange rate much deeper, we go from about uh, 3 million to 1, but then he says, but He says, not only that, but when I uh, ask for you to bring me the Korban Omer, so all I need from you is the a, uh, a Korban which is brought from barley rather than wheat, which is obviously much cheaper. And the Fikach, and therefore, since the Baruch Hu says, I'll be satisfied with very little, so Fikach Moshe Mazer Sisrov Omelem Vavesem Asomer, Vavesem Asomer. Therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu warns Kalyusal and says, Make sure that you go ahead and it's a minimal amount, and it's a cheap amount that you have to provide, that you have to give to Hashem, you have to offer to Hashem, but make sure that you go ahead and you do so. Now, in other words, and here he explains, uh, I think, very beautifully, in a very beautiful perspective on the way. Uh, the world runs. Midbar. So this is now the Sif Sechaim talking. That when Klai was in the Midbar, they were in the wilderness. So it was evident, it was clear to everybody that Hashem is the one who's providing Mezonos, He's providing sustenance for everybody. Because nobody worked at all, nobody was a professional there. In literally, mon fell from heaven, and that provided sustenance for everybody. So, in, in as a klayusol existed in the wilderness, it was evident to everybody that Hashem is in control. Hashem provides mizonos, and He takes care of things. But achen kishatavo leeretz yisrael. But when klayusol reaches eretz yisrael, v'tis asku bizria uketsira, and then. Klayisol can no longer expect the man to fall from the heavens. Now there's an obligation to become farmers. They have to plant and they have to harvest and they have to take care of things. So once Klayisol is now working for a living, so what becomes the danger of that? Now we are independent. That becomes a risk for them to think that they're independent. And we are already working, we're generating our food based on our own efforts. And therefore, we are the ones who are responsible. We're generating the produce which is growing in the land. And they may decide that they're going to take full credit for everything which is going on, all of their food production. It's because of their wisdom and their hard effort and their, their strength and their uh, their ability to uh, to to, uh, to farm, azay lechem lilmod, and therefore the Torah says, no, 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 you can't go ahead and adopt that attitude, thinking that you're the one who creates your own parnasa, but rather you have to learn lahamshich lios haman. You have to continue with that mindset that you had when you were in the wilderness eating the man directly from God. Gam even after you're living in the land. So it becomes a very big uh, risk when a person uh, starts taking care of themselves to think that they now are the master of their destiny and they control what the outcome is going to be. And if they put in hard work, they're automatically going to have. And if they don't put in work, they're automatically not going to have. So no. So the Torah says you need to have a reminder, even when you're living in Eretz Yisrael, to the fact that everything comes from Hashem. And that is, and that is by bringing this Korban Omer. So the Korban Omer reminds us of the man which we used to eat in that same measurement, that same quantity. 
The amount which you used to eat, which I provided for you, I now want you to take that same measurement and offer it as a korban, and to chulalu hakarazu as a way of reminding yourself, of driving home this recognition. And that is, Kishem she'omer haman ha'yolimud yom yomi being that the falling of the uh, man, each and every day, day in and day out, was a constant reminder of the fact that Hashem provides. So too, the Korban Omer, the bringing of the Korban Omer is also designed to emphasize that same lesson, to emphasize that same point. That even though it looks superficially, it looks on the outside, as if it was my efforts which is producing the produce which is growing in the fields, which is growing on the trees, I bring the Korban Omer to remind myself that even what's growing in my orchard, or even what's growing in my field, ultimately is a gift from Hashem. It's Hashem's doing that I have this. Because whether it's the man falling from heaven, which is uh, clearly evident that that is miraculous, or whether it's the stuff which is growing in the field, when I put an effort to plant and to tend to and to harvest, ultimately it all stems from the exact same place, that everything is uh, from Hashem. Now, the risk is, again, and this is the uh, where, where uh, people um, end up falling short, says, what changed, what dramatically changed for Klai Yisrael in between their wilderness existence, the 40 years that they were in the desert, and their existence after they enter into Eretz Yisrael, is that once they entered into Eretz Yisrael, there is now a chiv of ishtabus. There's a chiv to put an effort in order to, in a sense, earn your own keep, to provide for yourself. Vishuv enam kedor deya. And they no longer will have this unique existence of the generation of knowledge. Where they were on the level where Hashem provided for them without them putting in any effort whatsoever. Sort of like being a teenager, something like that. And somebody goes ahead and provides for you, and you don't have to put in any effort whatsoever. You just open up the fridge or you open up the pantry, and presto, there's food there. Where did it come from? Minashomayim. Man, mom, same type of uh, terminology, but it's something which came from Shemaim, and it just sort of uh, happens on its own. But at some point, they got to move out, and at some point, they have to realize that if I'm going to put food on my table, I need to get a job, I need to go shopping, I need to cook, I need to prepare, I need to do all of those things. And once and we don't, people, we often don't think of it in these terms. But it's an interesting perspective. He says that once Klal Yisrael entered into Eretz Yisrael, what we what we reverted back to was we're now subject to the gzeira, the decree that Hashem put on Adam Arishon following the sin, which is the the only way you're going to be able to eat bread, the only way you're going to have is is the sweat of your brow meaning it's going to take effort in order to provide now. So when they were traveling in the wilderness, so they were not subject to that, they were on such a close level to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or perhaps they were so immature that they couldn't really take care of themselves, they, HaKadosh Baruch Hu provided directly for them. 
But now that they entered into Eretz Yisrael, now they come responsible to go ahead and take care of themselves. And the curse that was given to Adam Arishon, that was given to mankind, now expresses itself in the sense that now if you want to eat, you better put in effort. But from a spiritual perspective, this is where things get a little bit uh, confusing for us. And that is that in the the actual uh, essence of the matter, there is no difference between our existence in the wilderness or existence in Eretz Yisrael. Because ultimately, in truth, because it's not our efforts which generate the food, rather everything comes from Hashem. Hashem is always a provider. Shinemar, like the Pasuk says, a person does not live based on bread alone. Because a person lives according to the, with literally mean the mouth, but according to what Hashem is going to provide. Now he says, and that means that when we reached Eretz Yisrael, when we enter into Eretz Yisrael as a nation, now we face a new challenge. And this is something which is, uh, you know, well known in the, in the Sifrei uh, Hashkafa, Sifrei Moser, Sifrei uh, Hasidus. And that is, is that as generations come and go, so there's always going to be a new challenge which is going to be faced. So the generation in the, in the wilderness, so they faced one challenge and they had their set of uh, Nisionos. And then when Klai Yisrael enters into Eretz Yisrael, so now they're going to face a new type of Nisayin, a new type of challenge. What was that? And that the new challenge that they face is, even though upon entrance into Eretz Yisrael, Klai Yisrael is responsible to uh, put an effort to put food on their own table personally, and it's very easy to be misled into thinking that my hard work is what's generating for me my good parnasa. I'm responsible for the outcome. I'm responsible for what I, what I have. Aval, but the truth is, specifically when you are providing, when it seems that superficially you're providing for yourself, that is the moment when you have to realize that, when it's a bigger challenge, to realize that everything comes from Hashem, and even with all of my efforts, and all of my wisdom, and all of my strength, and all of that stuff, if Hashem doesn't want, so it's not going to happen. So that is an important lesson, that's the challenge that we face once we entered into Eretz Yisrael. And now he says, and isn't asking a lot from us as far as this is concerned. He's not saying you have to put in, you know, 16 hours a day and then I'll provide for you, or put in 20 hours a day and then I'll provide for you. Ella, all Kashbarku asks, asks in exchange, in recognition of the fact that we realize that he's running the show, speaking of shows. But it's only going to be one omer, one measurement of barley, and that's it. That's all Akash Baruch Hu wants to see from us is one this one measurement of barley, and that is enough of a nod from us to Akash Baruch Hu, where he acknowledges, or we, I shouldn't say he acknowledges, where we express our recognition that he's in charge. 
that he's the one who's providing everything, and we're just going through superficial motions, but we're not really doing anything uh, to, uh, to generate our parnasa. Ultimately, it comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And here, this is where he says this uh, so succinctly, Doresh rak es hahakara v'lo kamus. All HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants is recognition. There's not a certain quantity of anything which he wants. He's not looking for quantity. He just wants us to acknowledge that he's behind everything. As he says now, a little bit longer, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Eino litovos HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need our favors. When we offer a Korban Omer, we're not doing HaKadosh Baruch Hu a favor by giving him something to eat, which otherwise he wouldn't have had to eat. Shinavi Vizav, like in uh, ancient times, where gods always wanted gold and silver. The perception was that gods wanted gifts of gold and silver. In reality, it just went to the priests, the gold and silver. But it was something which there was a perception that God wanted all sorts of fancy gifts and whatnot. If you watch the, the coronation and whatnot, so you see where lots of gold and silver could <laughs> and expenses could, could go. So that's not what our Hashem wants. El Arak Dover Echad, all Baruch Hu wants one thing, just recognition. Just acknowledge that he is the one who's behind everything. Takir, Shakom HaKadosh Baruch Hu, just recognize that everything comes from Hashem. Vizek Priko Maaseinu, and this is the, the fruit, literally, the, 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 what we generate from all of our efforts. Isbonenus Shakol Ba Meis HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Just contemplate and just think about the fact that everything comes from Hashem. And that is, he says, is the idea behind the Korban Omer. That's the, uh, the, the thought which the, the Sefer HaChinuch express, and that is like the Tam HaMitzvah. That's what we mean when we talk about the, uh, the, uh, the Korban Omer. That's what Hashem wants us, uh, the, the ultimate goal is just to go ahead and recognize that He's responsible for everything. Okay, so that now is, in a sense, part one. Then he says, Tam Shemazkirin, now he's going to take it to another level. And that is that if you remember, we mentioned that Kadosh Baruch Hu is the strength behind rain in the bracha of Tchias HaMesim, in the second bracha of Shemon Esrei. So we say, So we say that, uh, that phrase, which acknowledges that Kadosh Baruch Hu is the one who blows the wind, and he is the one who provides the rain. So we say that in the second bracha. In Bir Movi Verebi Agon Rav Eliyahu Dessler Zatzal, and Rav Dessler explains, Kine Tchias Amesim Nira Lachol Shunais Galui. So he says that everybody looks at this or imagines we haven't actually seen it, but every everybody imagines this concept of Tchias Amesim of resurrection as an outright miracle, right? If one were to see somebody flatlines, somebody is uh, is dead. And then all of a sudden they come back to life. So that would be a, 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 a clear miracle, an evident miracle that everybody would acknowledge. Because because somebody who is dead has now been restored to life, has been resurrected. And this is something which has never happened before. So we all recognize, we all acknowledge the fact that that resurrection is a, will be a miraculous occurrence. But but this is not the case when you see plants growing. 
if you see trees blossoming or you see plants which are growing, those of us who are in the Midwest where it gets cold in the winter, so we can see it clearly that everything goes dormant during the winter. Everything stops growing and nothing is moving during the winter. And then come what they call springtime. It may still be cold, but what they call springtime is things begin to blossom and things begin to grow once again. But we look at that and we say, of course, because it did all of these plants blossom last year, the year before that, five years before that, 10 years before that, and 20 years before that. So this is part of nature. This is normal. This is all expected behavior. And nobody looks at the growth of a plant as anything which is miraculous in any way, shape, or form. However, but somebody who is thoughtful and somebody who's willing to contemplate things will realize that that's not the case. That what we take for granted is being a natural occurrence, plants growing again. So it actually is not something which is normal and regular, but it is something which is miraculous. And And the proof to this would be go ahead and grab somebody who grew up and knows nothing about farming at all, has never seen something growing in the dirt, somebody, uh, you know, growing up in mid- midtown Manhattan. So they know nothing about grass, they know nothing about trees, they know nothing about natural growth, assuming that they never visited Central Park. So they don't know anything about how things grow. And hine, kishayira, the rishones pulas azria. So you take a person who literally grew up in the city and the uh, the concrete jungle, it never saw anything natural grow whatsoever. And then suddenly, the first time you take them on a uh, on a cruise, and suddenly they see that there are things which are growing in places called Curacao or something like that. And then, well, so what do they see? They see somebody go ahead and take a seed and put it into the ground. So when they see you take this kernel of food and you put it into the ground, so what are they going to think? What happens is, es hisrakvus, so if he's able to see through plexiglass that when you put a seed into the ground, so the seed begins to decompose. So this is shocking. You took this piece of good food, you took this kernel of something which was edible, you put it into the ground, and when you put it into the ground, it begins to decompose. So you've ruined that food. Yachshov, so this person, the person who grew up in the concrete jungle, is going to think to himself, Chaval, it's a shame that somebody's taking, they're wasting good food. There's starving kids in Africa, and here you are taking grain, and you're throwing it into the ground. It's decomposing, it's, it's falling apart, and it's not going to be edible anymore. What a, what a big, an enormous waste of food. And the person who grew up not knowing anything about farming thinks that this is a huge waste of resources, and nothing beneficial, and nothing good is going to grow out of what you just did by taking an edible kernel and putting it into the ground and letting it rot there. But you say, you know what, let's go, uh, let's go back on the boat. We'll tour a little bit more and then we'll swing back around to Curacao later in a couple of weeks. So what happens when you return in a couple of weeks? Ulubesov kishe yuvakach, I think is the word. Ladas shatvuat samcha. Then you'll come back and you'll see that now you have an entire garden filled with vegetables which are growing. 
And the person would be astonished by that. How'd that happen? You had one little seed, and from that one little seed, now you have this entire, you know, tomato plant, or you have an entire green pepper plant, or something like that. How did that emerge out of a single seed, which somebody put into the ground? They wouldn't believe that such a thing is possible. How could something so small grow something which is so big? How to get all that flavor into that, uh, you know, little Reese's people? So you say, Hen Yitzhak, but call God all Nez And a person who's never seen that before would certainly be convinced that this is an outright miracle. So the only reason we don't see it as a miracle is just, as he's going to say, is just because of our hair goal. It's just because we're used to it. We're accustomed to that. And therefore, it's part of the expectation that these things are going to happen. But the truth is, it's an enormous miracle that anything can grow out of the ground as well. And he says, that is, the machshava pshuta, so he says, in our simple superficial thinking, we imagine that when we see this miracle called Triasamesim, so this is going to be an evident outright miracle, which everybody will acknowledge and say, amazing, that people who were dead came back to life. And yet we look at the growth of a seed into a plant, and we look at that as a natural occurrence, and we say, ho-hum, nothing to see here. But he says, but he says to the person who's going to think about this deeply, it's amazing what he says, there's no difference conceptually between a seed which grows into a plant or a dead person who comes back to life. Just like you take a body, take a person who died, you put them into the ground, you bury them into the ground, and then at some point in the future, they're going to come back alive, and that's, that's going to be perceived as a miracle. So we do the exact same thing with a seed. So when we put a seed into the ground, and it goes out and it decomposes, when that seed, after decomposing, to go ahead and grow into this plant, so that is an outright clear miracle, which is happening every time something grows on your uh, on your lawn or on your property. So what's the difference between which we acknowledge is miraculous, and on the one hand, versus the growth of an apple tree or the growth of a tomato plant, on the other hand, the only difference between them is the only difference between them is we've all seen plants grow, so that doesn't strike us as miraculous, but we've never seen so that why that, that does strike us as miraculous. But truth be told, there really is no difference between them. Because Zria the planting and the subsequent growth of a plant, which we've become accustomed to, which we've been habituated to seeing, so this is something which does not, we don't perceive, our brain doesn't process it as a miraculous event, because we're so used to it. As opposed to Tchiasamesim, which we've never seen in our lifetime, so if that were to occur, we would say, wow, what a miracle that somebody came back from, from the dead. But it, 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 at its fundamental level, it's all the same thing. You put something into the ground, which is, uh, does not seem to contain any life to it whatsoever. The seed, we know clearly, it decomposes in the ground. And then next thing you know, you've got this enormous uh, plant, which is, uh, which is growing over there. 
It's miraculous and wondrous to observe both of these things from happening. And the only reason we don't see plants as miraculous is simply because we're used to it. But if we just uh, take ourselves out of it, we, we undo that, uh, that, uh, that uh, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, how accustomed we get to it, because it's something we see all the time. So we'd appreciate it much more, the miracle of every time a plant is able to grow. Because Because the truth is, everything comes from Hashem. Whether it's Tchias Amesim, whether it's a tomato plant growing, or whether it's a, uh, um, uh, whatever it happens to be growing, all of that is Hashem. And for that reason, So that's why Chazal said, we're going to mention rain, that Kosh is the power behind the rain, in the bracha of Tchias Amesim, in order to drive home this point, that the two things are really the same. Just one is perceived as miraculous because we've never seen it before. The other is seen as nature because we see it all the time. But on a fundamental level, there's no, there's no difference between them. And they're both miraculous. And that's why we mention God being the power behind rain, specifically that bracha. Lahoros, it's coming to demonstrate. That the truth is that both of them represent the power of Hashem. Okay? So this is now... A very uh, another important lesson of the Corbin Omer is this reminder that at the end of the day, as much effort as we may put in in order to earn our keep, ultimately everything comes from our Baruch Hu, And if he wants it to work out, it will work out. If he doesn't want it to work out, it's not going to work out. And we know this. This is all the reminder of the man which we ate in the wilderness, where we didn't have any degrees whatsoever, no education, no degrees, no advanced degrees. We weren't professionals at all. We had no money, which we were putting away in a 401k or into some retirement package. And yet, HaKash Baruch Hu provided everything that we needed at that time. Okay, now let's take it another step to the next level, to 11, perhaps. He says, Od B'medrasham. So another idea in that very same section of Midrashim, these are all these Midrashim about the Korban Omer. So What merit did Klai Yisrael have to, to receive Eretz Yisrael? Eretz Yisrael is a special gift that Kosh Baruch Hu gave to Klai Yisrael. And Kosh Baruch Hu doesn't give gifts for nothing. It's something which generally one is going to have to earn it by generating some sort of merit. And the question is, what was that merit? So here, Chazal say, it was in the mitzvah that they're going to bring the Korban Omer. Because by the mitzvah of bringing the Korban Omer, it's introduced with the words, So when you come to the land, so this, those introductory words create this connection between our entrance into the land and the mitzvah of the Korban Omer. And therefore, we don't have to read the rest of the Medrash. So the, med- the Medrash goes on to say, Moshe Rabbeinu warned Klai Yisrael, make sure that when you're living in Eretz Yisrael, that you're going to be very conscientious and you are uh, careful to bring the Korban Omer. But the question is, the obvious question is, this connection that, that the Medrash just made. Maha Kesher, Shaben Korban Omer Lirusha Saras. So what exactly is the connection which the Torah is making between the offering of the Korban Omer, offering this very simple barley uh, Korban, one small measurement on behalf of all of Klai Yisrael, what's the connection between that 
and Yerusha Sa'aretz, and the fact that it was in that merit that we received Eretz Yisrael. So he says, the Tachlis Yitzis, I'm going back to one of his, his earlier themes. So the purpose, the goal of Yitzis Mitzrayim was Kabbalah Satora. That we already said. That there was all that uh, physically leaving Mitzrayim represented just one step in the journey to the final destination. But the final destination was Har Sinai to be able to receive the Torah. And as Eretz Yisrael Kibalnu B'Torah's Kli L'Kayim Esa Torah. And here's a fascinating perspective he's offering. He says that when HaKash Baruch Hu gave us Eretz Yisrael, he wasn't just stum looking for a homeland where we'd be able to park our, uh, our caravans and we'd be able to set up shop and you have to live somewhere. So he just chose Eretz Yisrael. But Eretz Yisrael was chosen because that's now going to be a keli, that's going to be a utensil through which we could fulfill the Torah. So we left Mitzrayim to receive the Torah we enter into Eretz Yisrael because Eretz Yisrael allows us, that's going to be the place which is most conducive to fulfill the entire Torah. So all of these things from Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim all the way until our entrance into Eretz Yisrael, that's all part of one big package deal. It's part of one big journey where along the way different things happen, but ultimately it's to get us to Eretz Yisrael so we can fulfill the Torah, so we can do the mitzvahs in Eretz Yisrael. And he says, just to be certain, he says, very strong language, he says, We have no other purpose in having Eretz Yisrael other than that is the ideal location wherein we are going to be able to fulfill the Torah. That's why, that's why, that's why we have it. And Im Yisrael, I'm sorry, I'm Yisrael, Lokibal Esa'aretz, Kederach Kol Amin. And he says that Kosh Baruch Hu did not give us the land of Eretz Yisrael the same way that other nations have land which they call their own. Hazakukim, the pisas adamer l'tzorach kiyumum hafizi. Where most nations, the only reason why nations need land is because they need a place to live. They need a place to go to work. They need a place to raise their families. They need a place to produce food. They need a place where just the, their, their citizens are going to be able to occupy. So land uh, represents a physical need for other nations of the world. But Am Yisrael, but amazingly, I don't know if you've, uh, you've thought about this, but he says that Am Yisrael nola b'midbar la'achar shiyatsim Yitzrayim. Kla Yisrael achieves nationhood after we left Mitzrayim. So generally, we talk about we talk about the English people. You talk about Mexican people. You talk about Spanish people. You talk about French people. So their land is what makes them who they are. It's hard to be a Frenchman if you were raised in Spain. Then you're Spanish. You're not French. So where you are, that's going to define the the type of person you are. Klal Yisrael is considered to be Klal Yisrael before they ever had a homeland. They didn't have a homeland. They became a nation by something other than Eretz Yisrael, and that is. That our nationhood was created in the moment that we went ahead and we received the Torah. The Afsham, and it was specifically over there, by Midbar in the wilderness. I had to look up the word Hitgabesh. Google Translate says it means to crystallize. So it was in the wilderness without a homeland that we crystallized into a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
So that's a, that's a, itself is an amazing origin of a people that they that their 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 beginnings did not occur in a homeland. They were not associated with a particular homeland when they became a nation. They achieved nationhood without a land because they did that in the midbar. And lo nasulam. He says they did not become a nation when they entered into Eretz Yisrael el lehepech. They became a nation before they entered into Eretz Yisrael, and they entered into, into Eretz Yisrael already formed as a nation. And therefore, because im hayosam when did they achieve nationhood? They achieved nationhood when they received the Torah. So the receipt of the Torah, that's what, we, that's what uh, allowed us to become a nation. And they also, part of what contributed to our status as our nationhood, it was the subsequent 40 years that we traveled around in the wilderness and we ate the man. And and then only after those 40 years, after we received the Torah and we benefited directly from God's support for those 40 years, afterwards, it was only after all of that that Kodesh Baruch Hu said, okay, now I'm going to give you the utensil that you need in order for you to be able to fulfill the Torah. You already are a nation because I gave you the Torah. You just haven't, have not yet had the opportunity to fulfill the entirety of the Torah as of yet. And therefore, I'm now, after 40 years, I'm going to bring you into Eretz Yisrael, and you'll settle there, not settling there in order to become a nation, settling there to manifest your destiny as an already established nation, because we became a nation already at Har Sinai. And he says, Hain, hain Emes. Now it's true that She'ene Hashem Mishotetos B'chol Haaretz. The truth is, we know that we say in the Animamis, HaKash Baruch Hu oversees everything which happens in the world. So there's no part of the world, there's no part of the globe, or there's no part of the universe for that matter, which does not, which HaKash Baruch Hu does not oversee. But, U'bechol ofen, Be'ert Yisrael makim es hashkachas HaKash Baruch Hu b'tzur boletes, yosem eshil chutzars. But if there's such a thing as HaKash Baruch Hu paying extra special attention, not general attention, but where Kosh Baruch is going to give extra special attention, that's going to be the top of God's Twitter feed, is what's going on to the Jews in Eretz Yisrael, has a Twitter feed. But if we were to imagine in those terms that the top of his feed is going to be what's going on with the Jewish people in Eretz Yisrael, so that's what we would see, because he cares much more about what's happening to the Jewish people there than anywhere else. And that is, Shinemar, uh, as the Pasuk says, Okay, the Apostle said, just for time, we'll, uh, we'll skip the, the Apostle, but the Apostle says, HaKash Baruch Hu pays extra special attention there. One more paragraph, and then we'll hold it for tonight. And he says, V'zu iskulas Eretz Yisrael, Shonosenetz esav sharut shal kirva yaseira el HaKash Baruch What's special about Eretz Yisrael is not the fact that it connects Europe and Africa and Asia together. It's not its location. There's nothing uh, about the physical a layout of Eretz Yisrael, which makes it special. What makes Eretz Yisrael special, certainly from a spiritual perspective, is the fact that it allows us to get closer to Agash Baruch Hu than we would ever be able to achieve outside of Eretz Yisrael. 
That's what makes Eretz Yisrael special, because as we said, it's a utensil through which we can fulfill the entirety of the uh, of the Torah, and fulfillment of the entirety of Torah is what allows us to get close to Hashem. And therefore, in what uh, the the characteristic of Eretz Yisrael, which facilitates that, is the fact that it teaches us that the divine providence, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, is carefully watching over things. He says, for this reason, that somebody who's going to be in Navi, you have to live in Eretz Yisrael. Then once Kal Yisrael entered Eretz Yisrael the first time, so Nevoah, prophecy, is now confined to those who reside in the land of Eretz Yisrael. And those who are outside of Eretz Yisrael, as great as they are, as righteous as they are, as pious as they are, they cannot receive actual Nevoah. Because that's something which only happens in Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because only in Eretz Yisrael, where there's this, this special closeness, where a person is able to achieve a greater closeness with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, will one merit to see these heavenly revelations. And therefore the Divine Spirit will reside on a person only in Eretz Yisrael. al Chazal, and for this reason, Chazal say in very strong terms, Kol hadar somebody who lives in Chutzlaretz, Dome, it's an amazing statement Chazal make, but it says, Dome kemisha elo eloka. The person lives as if they don't have a God, as if they are godless. Now, obviously, as we said, God is here, uh, 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 God is, uh, what is it? Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. So certainly we're going to go ahead and acknowledge that Hashem is everywhere. But there's no comparison between God's manifestation in Eretz Yisrael to the manifestation he has in Miami, Chicago, Lakewood, or Curacao. There's just, there's no, there's no comparison. And therefore, when a person moves out of Eretz Yisrael to the place of special closeness, and they move to one of those other areas, so they're going to be missing out on this strong aspect of Hashem's presence. And that is akin to not even having a God. Because Hoel, who bears Yisrael, because those who are in Eretz Yisrael have a closer perspective as to how Hashkacha Pratis works, how divine providence works, how God, God's presence is manifests itself in this physical world. And you'll see that much clearer in Eretz Yisrael than you would see that anywhere else. Okay, and therefore, somebody who says, or Hayotse Mimena, somebody who leaves Eretz Yisrael, Chasolo Emuna Bahashkacha Pratis, so that person is going to be lacking a certain, deg- certain degree of belief in Hashkacha Pratis in divine presence. And that's why, that's what the Sadiqim and the Hasidim, that's what they all saw about Eretz Yisrael, not simply a homeland for the Jewish people, and certainly not as a place where the Jewish people would be safe and they wouldn't be subject to uh, to, uh, to Holocaust and Inquisitions and pogroms and whatnot, because as we see, you can have terrorism in Eretz Yisrael as well. But the real uniqueness and specialness of Eretz Yisrael is this is where we get a chance, we get a closer look, we get courtside seats, uh, to see how HaKadosh Baruch Hu is running the world, and that itself develops in us, uh, or helps us cultivate a much stronger connection with Him, and that is why, ultimately, we uh, what makes Eretz Yisrael special. Okay, so we hold it over here. Uh, so hold it over here for 